This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 95 of the Rebel Author Podcast. I cannot believe there are just five episodes to go. Until 100, of course. (laughs) Not five episodes until I stop or anything, don't worry. Today I am talking to Helen Scheurer and Helen has become a really good friend uh, over, oh I don't know, the last nine months or so. So it is a super fun conversation and uh, there are a few giggles, let me put it that way. And I'm going to be talking to her all about how to achieve six-figure success when you only publish once a year. Now I say only, like that isn't you know, a huge feat of um, effort and success. And it truly, truly is. Um, I think publishing in general is a huge feat of success. It doesn't matter how many books you publish a year. Um, But of course, in the world we live in today, where there are rapid releases publishing once a month, um, you know, it, it brings about this perception that that is the only way to succeed. And it's frankly bollocks. So that is why I'm talking to Helen, who can show you that it's bollocks and that you don't need to rapid release in order to have success. All right, but first to last week's question, which was, what's your favorite magic system? We had a lot of answers. So um, a couple for Harry Potter, uh, one for Wheel of Time, that was from Tom Fowler. Uh, Bryn said Stormkeepers by Catherine Doyle. Um, uh, Melanie said Terry Goodkind's Sword of Truth series. We had anything that's inspired by real history and culture, which I thought was lovely. I hear that uh, The Name of the Wind has a very real-based magic system. Couple of responses for uh, Mistborn. Uh, JP uh, gave that one. Sophia KB underscore writes says blood magic. Um, Yeah, and then again, another uh, Wheel of Time. So we had quite a few. These were, oh, Stormlight, sorry, was another one from Etta Grace on Instagram. So yeah, quite a few um, magic systems. (laughs) Clearly words are hard for for me this morning. (laughs) I'm struggling to like speak and think and like human. Uh, Okay, so this week's question is, how many books would you ideally like to publish in a year? And of course, I'm asking that because we've got a one book a year, six figure author on. Uh, We've had multiple books a year and six figure author on Inez Jones uh, recently. I don't remember the episode number, but we also had that. So yeah, I thought this was a nice flip flop on that um, to show the other side. But I would be curious, like, what is your ideal number of books to publish per year? I think in an ideal world, if I could outsource a ton more, if I was only writing then I would ideally like to publish three to four fiction books and two non-fiction books a year. So what's that, five? Uh, Yeah, I would say between five and six books a year. That feels at the moment completely out of my grasp. I know I published six last year, but two were very short. Um, Wait, did I publish six last year or did I publish four? I don't remember. (laughs) Four. Anyway, not the point. Four, I think I did last year. Um, But I wrote six. Anyway, not the point. (laughs) Digressing. Jesus, fuck, Sasha, get a grip this morning. 
Anyway, let's just fucking move on. <laughs> okay, so the recommendation of the week this week is A Lair of Bones by Helen Scheurer. Now, my copy arrived last night and I enjoyed the first page so much I had to slam the cover shut because I had not finished my other book and I'm trying at the moment just to read sort of like one or two at the same time so I chomp through them faster uh, but I am so excited to read this. Helen comes incredibly well recommended. Um, I have been recommended her books a number of times before. Uh, by different people. That's for her Oromir Chronicles uh, series. So yes, I am recommending this book. I will be honest and say I have not um, read it yet, but I am about to. And from the first page, I was like, oh my God, quick, shut the book before I got sucked in. It was so good. So yeah, I am super excited to read this. All right, in personal update then, whew, we have a few things to talk about today. So um, I have the pleasure of speaking to Daniel Wallace, who was on the show uh, a couple of episodes back talking about author events. Well, funnily enough, he's running his next author event, which is called Find Your Next Reader. And the summit is all about finding new readers. It is free at point of um, it being live. So I think the episodes, um, episodes, the presentations are all live possibly for 24 hours. Um, you can, I've got my affiliate link in the show notes and you can click through and see all the information. It's certainly free for a period of time. And I both spoke at his last um, summit and also attended and I was really astounded at the quality of the sessions and like the quality, I think I said this in the episode as well, like the quality of all of the things that he thought of, the additional, the perks, the things like that. Um, and it's also, if you do want to buy it so you get lifetime access, it is super cheap as well. Um, and I am going to be talking about podcasting as an author. So yes, uh, that's my personal session, a little bit uh, outside the realm of what I normally talk about. But um, I had a, a lot of fun talking to Daniel. And yeah, I really enjoyed the session. And I've also created a bonus like um, everything you need to know checklist type thing for the conference. So um, yeah, I was also wonderfully delighted and honoured to speak to Ingram Spark, which uh, was a real shock when they asked me and I was delighted. So um, I am on their spotlight season three. Mm, I forget now which episode it was, either three or six, but I'm going to include the links in the show notes. Um, and yeah, that was a fantastic interview. I've really enjoyed talking to them and it's only a short one too, so you can listen to that. All right, for the uh, launch of Eight Steps to Side Characters, I am um, going to be running a Facebook Live on launch day, which is the 29th of July at 8pm BST, so 8pm UK time. Um, and you can find the link to the Facebook group if you're not already in there uh, in the show notes. Now, the other thing that I'm going to be running is a series of 20 sort of minute uh, or so interviews on Instagram um, every single night from the 30th of July. Uh, and these are going to be called Your Side Characters and You. And I have um, got the pleasure of speaking to a number of indie authors um, all about both their side characters, how they create them, what, you know, their tips and advice for creating better side characters, and then side characters that they like in literature and film and movie. Um, 
yeah, and so it's just going to be like a little mini chat about side characters every single night um, uh, uh, from the 30th until I think around the 8th and I will be doing the last one <laughs> talking to myself and I suppose asking, answering questions from you guys as well. Now, the uh, Eight Steps to Side Characters is available everywhere at last. Even the paperbacks are live. Um, the paperbacks are live uh, everywhere on Amazon, on other stores. Finally, I know it took a really long time and I'm going to explain why in a second. Uh, yes, so uh, the ebooks are live. Now, you can order paperbacks from me if you want ebooks. They, they will be going live on my website um, late on the night before um so they'll be live for the day now why did the paperbacks take so long to go live well i'm gonna tell you about the fucking debacle i went through this week when i put my book through ingram spark i did not see the imprint name and i think it was because the dashboard has changed and it's been a while since i uploaded a book and it was hidden the imprint option was hidden under a, an advanced toggle. Uh, now, for those that, of you that don't know, imprint is essentially who you tell Amazon and Ingram and all of the stores publishes your book. So if you're traditionally published, it might say Hodder, it might say HarperCollins, it might say Bloomsbury. For an indie author, it will either say our name, it might say independently published, or it might say an imprint name that we have made up. And for me, I publish under Atlas Black Publishing. Um, now, for some reason, it had defaulted to Sasha Black and I didn't see this. So I just hit publish, it went onto Amazon and then I saw it because obviously I check the sales page once it's live and I saw that it was saying Sasha Black and I was like, well, that's not right. So I thought nothing of it, went into Ingram Spark, found the imprint name in the toggle and changed it to Atlas Black Publishing, which it should be. Well, <laughs> a few days later, um, Amazon emailed me saying that, essentially saying that I'm fraudulent and that I need to prove that I own the copyright. And they had some very, very um, abrupt language, shall we say, threatening me, giving five days for me to prove that I own the copyright to this book. Otherwise they were going to remove the book, cancel the pre-order uh, and basically delete me. <laughs> So, as you can understand, I was very stressed about this. And basically what they ask for are contracts. Well, as a self-published author, I don't have a contract. Why would I have a contract with myself? I'm not going to, am I? They ask for copyright proof, which, well, okay, lots of American authors will submit copyright, but it's not really a thing in other countries. So I didn't have that. So it's safe to say, I was worried. <laughs> I was really, really worried. So I tried sending evidence of the invoice from my editor. I sent uh, the bank statement with my bank company name and my um, my real name, my bank name, my, my sorry, my business name on it. And that wasn't enough proof. Um, and then I was like, what would I have that would have both the imprint and my name on it? And thank God I brought my own ISBNs because 
my ISBNs are all attributed to Atlas Black Publishing in that that is the publisher, so that is the imprint attached to the ISBNs, but the owner of the account is Sasha Black, me. And so I was able to screenshot my sort of dashboard that showed both the imprint name and me as the owner. And so <clears throat> I would then I then had to go into my Ingram Spark account and show the metadata revision because thankfully Ingram Spark timestamps these things. And I just said to them, you need to cross correlate, uh, cross correlate, cross compare or whatever I was saying to, to, to examine the times and the dates. And, you know, here is the evidence that I own my ISBN. So if ever I have seen more reason to buy and own your ISBNs as a indie publisher, this is, this is a reason. Let this be a warning to everybody. Let this be a lesson learnt that owning your ISBNs might cost you upfront, but fuck me. <laughs> if I hadn't have owned my ISBNs, they could have crippled me just like that because Amazon have the power. They, you know, this has reminded me and highlighted to me how important it is to have multiple streams of income, to not be exclusive to Amazon because they could have shafted my entire business overnight. And so I am going to be working really, really hard to increase my wide income, to increase my portfolio, um, you know, more audiobooks, more courses, more things that aren't necessarily just book sales. Um, I'm also now really going to push on direct sales because I do have direct sales up and you can buy from me and I am going to try and look at ways to make that more enticing. Um, yeah, because this was a real short, sharp reminder and, um, you know, <laughs> I will confess to you that I got so stressed over it that um, the day it it uh, the day after everything was sorted, I started getting chest pains. <laughs> I'm laughing now. It's actually not funny because I'm still having chest pains. Um, but <clears throat> I have spoken to a doctor and they think I'm just stressed. <laughs> Fucking funny that. Um, yeah. So it's I it's I'm laughing because that is my default mechanism for coping with life. Um, but it's not funny. And uh, yeah, hopefully that is a lesson to you guys as well. I have been super busy trying to prepare the launch <laughs> in and around wrangling Amazon. And um, so just a reminder that you can pre-order your copy of Eight Steps to Side Characters pretty much everywhere, including from me. And if you submit your pre-order proof, then you will both receive the first 25 pages of the book for free and in advance as a sneaky, cheeky uh, sneak peek. And you'll also be entered into a giveaway to win a stack of books and some goodies. And I will include the link in the show notes uh, for where to submit your pre-order proof, but I have a redirect that is sashablack.co.uk forward slash side pre-order. Okay, into the rebel of the week because I think I have bollocks on for long enough. Uh, so yeah, I... I think the big thing was Amazon this week. So yeah, I'm going to go straight into Rebel of the Week. So Rebel of the Week this week is Laura Hatchell. Laura says, when I finished school, I really wanted to travel. My friends were a nightmare to organise for anything, never mind holidays. And when one particular friend let me down for a planned trip, 
interrailing, I decided I'd had enough. I was training in Kung, Kung Fu at the time and had spotted an advert in a martial arts magazine for Mai Tai training in Thailand. I mentioned this to my mum, but she thought it was far too dangerous for me to go. The idea stuck in my head, so I started to do a bit of Googling. I found a guy online who organised trips to China to train in a Shaolin school. Strangely, my mum had no issue with this suggestion, so I made the booking through this random guy I'd never met and arranged to go to an unspecified part of China by myself at 19 years of age to study Kung Fu for two weeks. This was back when roaming on mobiles wasn't an option that far afield and hardly anyone spoke English in the area where I was, so it was possibly a bit extreme for my first time going away by myself. It was a terrifying experience and seems a little insane when I think about it now, but I got to do some amazing training and travelling by myself never seemed quite as daunting after that. I absolutely love, love, love this rebellion. Um, I love it because it's so empowering. I love that you went and studied martial arts like oh my god, that's so cool. I didn't even know that we could do that. Like, that was a thing. And now I want to go and do uh, Taekwondo in Korea. Um, yeah, so, oh, wow, fantastic. I, I love this story. Um, I also did something similar, although I did do it uh, with my best friend, my oldest friend. We went and uh, trekked up Everest and there was, like, no, in like, not really any internet or phones, like, in exactly the same. And we just fucked off to, like... <laughs> Nepal and Kathmandu and then like trekked up into the middle of the bloody Himalayas with like, no way of contacting our parents so like I think about that now and like my son doing that and I'm like oh hell no <laughs> I can't believe my mum was so brave and uh gave me all that freedom so okay um as always <laughs> We are low on rebel stories. So please, 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 please do send in your rebel stories. It's one of my favorite segments every single week. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. One new patron this week, Kirsten Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. And a massive thank you to Jen Roundall who upped her pledge and joined in the Slack group. A gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. You guys genuinely keep this podcast going. You make me feel like you want the show, you want more of the show, you want more of me waffling on. Um, and like... That makes me feel so wonderful and I makes me feel so grateful to you guys. So thank you so, so much. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash uh, Sasha Black. I nearly said Rebel Black. Oh my God, that would be such a cool name. Oh. Y'all can't steal this now. I'm going to totally name a character Rebel Black. Um, okay, I think that's it, actually. Uh, we are going to get into the show. Now, uh, because I'm utterly bloody useless, I messed up the name of um, Helen's <laughs> um, uh, series when we were recording. So um, I am going to read her bio now. 
Helen Scheurer is the YA fantasy author of best-selling trilogy The Oromere Chronicles. Her work has been highly praised for its strong, flawed female characters and its action-packed plots. Born in Australia, Helen's love of writing and books led her to pursue a Bachelor of Creative Writing at the University of Wollongong, Wollongong and a Master's of Publishing at the University of Sydney. Now a full-time author, Helen lives amidst the mountains in central Otago in New Zealand and is constantly dreaming up new stories. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Helen Scheurer. Welcome! Thank you so much for joining me! <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. Oh no, it's an absolute pleasure. So for listeners um, who don't know, Helen and I um, had a lovely chat um, a little while ago because we are both YA authors and um, yes, yeah, so we've got lots in common and um, you're just such a lovely human. <laughs> so, so are you. Oh, this is stop. awesome. I've loved, I've loved chatting to you. Though I always feel a bit like a stalker because obviously I listen to the podcasts and I, I end up knowing a lot more about you than you know about me. <laughs> I always think that's so funny though, isn't it? Because like when you've listened to somebody forever and then, and then like, like when I've because I've done this as well when I've interviewed people whose podcasts I've listened to for a really long time and then I'm like they're gonna go like you can tell they're about to tell me a memory that they've said on the podcast and I'm like mm -hmm, this is new information to me because <laughs> obviously you've heard it already anyway tell everyone a little bit about you and how you have gotten to where you are today in your like writing journey okay um well, I'm a full-time YA fantasy author and I've, I've been full-time for about three years now. Um, before that, I did a creative writing degree and a master's of publishing and sort of in and around that, I did a lot of shitty copywriting jobs, um, you know, wrote product descriptions for websites and, you know, all that kind of soul-sucking stuff. Um, so I, I did that full-time and part-time and wrote around that basically um, and yeah then in 2017 I published Heart of Mist which is the first book in the Oromir Chronicles and um, yeah that was in August 2017 and then by January 2018 I was able to quit all my other you know part-time gigs and jobs and stuff and go full-time. And that was on one book? Yeah yeah. And this is why I want to talk to you, because I think that is phenomenal, because so many people are told, you know, it takes five books, 10 books, 50, 20 books, 20 books to 50K, yeah. you know, yeah, before, that's the main one, isn't it? you know, yeah. And like, so the, the myth sort of spreads through the community that, you know, there's no hope, you definitely can't uh, quit your job on one book. And yet there are always exceptions to the rule. And mm. I just, that is why I'm so pleased that you um, have come on because like, you're going to give hope to everybody. And also I think maybe some realism too. And, and, and yeah, so we're going to dive into how you did that, which I just think is spectacular. So for authors who launch multiple books a year, they often put a lot less into like their actual launch day. So I'm curious, can you, as because you predominantly still do one book a year, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, currently, so what, what's 2021, this, is, this will be the first year that I'm aiming to put two out. 
And that's a big like sort of maybe around that. But yeah, all the uh, 2017, 2018, 2019 was just the one book a year. And then 2020, I published a collection of prequel short stories in April. And then I think it was in October, I did the Omnibus, just an ebook of all four books together. So I don't know if you want to count that as, as two. Um, but yeah, last, last year I, I did two, but one of them, only one of them was like, um, like a, what um, am I trying to say? New content. Yeah, brand, new content. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell me then about your launches. Like how, like how much do you put into them? How do you launch, launch a book? Because I, I, I'm wondering if that might be different to somebody who's just sort of bashing out a book a month type. Yeah, I definitely couldn't, if I was publishing more books, like say one a month, I couldn't do the launches that I've done in the past. They're very um, sort of all consuming. I guess with um, with Heart of Mist, so in 2017, I, was, I wasn't as immersed in like the whole indie scene as I potentially am now. And I definitely model that launch off a more traditional style launch. So, um, it was all about book bloggers, Instagrammers. Um, I did a massive outreach campaign where I was reaching out to blogs, publications, podcasts, and like I have a full-on media kit that has potential guest posts and interview topics. Um, and it looks really professional. I sent that out to like hundreds and hundreds of websites and publications and stuff. Um, I didn't really know all that much about about like the paid um, promo sites back then. Um, I'd done Mark Dawson's uh, self-publishing 101 course, um, but I was definitely modeling my launch off what I saw, particularly in like the Australian traditional publishing sphere. And um, I actually had like a physical launch in a bookstore. I wouldn't say that did much in terms of sales, like because I went through I went through a print on demand small local printer. I didn't even use Ingram back then. I had no real concept about Ingram. Um, but what I think the the book launch did, it was a, a branding awareness sort of thing, and it it kind of lent this sort of legitimacy to the book. And for the longest time, everybody thought Heart of Mist was traditionally published. Like I still get. Um, I still get emails being like, oh, who's your publisher, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm, me. Um, but yeah, so I think with, with that launch, maybe it was that, like, I think a lot of indies now, uh, there's this sort of, not issue, but I think there's this overlap when, when indie authors market their books that they tend to be marketing it to other authors mm. rather than to readers. Um, and I think like, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like, that's what I did really well with Heart of Mist was that I um, pinpointed readers rather than the authors that I was in a particular group with and stuff. Um, I also did 99 cent launches for all three of the Oromi Chronicles books. So the, the first week it was available, it was at 99 cents. Then it went up to 299, 399, 4.99. So, um, yeah, so it was definitely like a combination of this massive outreach campaign and this very aggressive pricing strategy. And I sort of basically mirrored that in all three of the, of the launches. Each one had a physical launch. 
each one had this huge marketing outreach thing. Um, but also by the time I was doing the second and the third book, I had a pretty good blueprint from the first one. So I could, you know, approach the same bloggers. I'd worked with them before um, and yeah, so forth and so on, basically. Um, so that's how I've done it in the past. At the moment, I'm looking to experiment with this year's release. Um, so I think by the time this podcast airs, my book, A Layer of Bones, will have just launched the week before, I think. Um, and I'm doing a full price launch for that. Um, and I've done a lot of newsletter swapping and things like that, but I don't really know how that's going to work out yet. Um, so that's sort of the gist of it. I've just started rambling now. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm finding it fascinating. And so like the way you had it, where you had the physical launches with the, in the bookstores, the local bookstores, mm -hmm. did that enable you to have your book stocked there? Yeah. So um, one of the, one of the things I would say is like, because I didn't go with Ingram back then, um, I just went with a local printer. I had all the stock at my house. Um, when a bookstore did want to stock me, they just did it on consignment. Um, so they would take like five copies, hold them for three months. And then at the end of the three months, um, they would invoice me or I'd invoice them for how many, um, they'd sold. And then either they'd want to keep them on or stock more, or I'd go and pick up the leftovers. Um, so it was very like hands-on. Um, now I definitely wouldn't want to be doing that. I'm, I've decided for the new series, I'm going to go with Ingram, which is scary because I've never used it before, but it also kind of makes me think like there might be a lot more opportunity with, uh, with Ingram because like none of the Oromi Chronicle books, they're, they're all just through KDP. I mean, they were through create space back then. Um, for and those yes, of us old enough to remember creative yeah. space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's uh, they the bookstores bought it on consignment, but this time around I'm gonna go through Ingram and potentially send media kits and stuff to a bunch of bookstores and try and get them to stock it. Um, for me, you know, having it in bookstores isn't really a big deal. Um, I think when you sort of get into the whole indie mindset, you've got to work out what your priorities are and what you deem as success. For me, I think if I if you had to talk to me maybe 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh my God, I want my book in all the bookstores. Whereas I'd rather sell 20 copies of my ebook as opposed to 20 copies of the paperback. I earn yeah, more money. Every day. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I earn more money. It affects the rankings, like all of that stuff. There's all these like knock-on effects and benefits that you get with an ebook that you just don't get if you're giving 40% of the RRP to a bookstore and you personally has to shuffle back and forth with books and you know all that stuff so yeah yeah no I completely agree I I I want to do it just because then I've done it and I can tick it off and I can have a picture that's all I care about I just want a picture of yeah. my book in a fucking bookstore and then I'm then I'm then I'm done but um I suppose I can do that just by uh building up the relationship with the local stores here but mm. anyway yes I am definitely far more uh well see it's interesting for me because my non-fiction sells a fucking bucket load of paperbacks um that but my sense to me though yeah because like, it's information when they're learning they want to be able to like highlight they want to be able to flick through to the right part you know make notes and stuff that makes sense to me having more sales in paperback for um non-fiction yeah yeah um 
yeah so I, but also obviously <laughs> as an indie author the majority of our income comes from ebooks because we earn mm. so much more for every sale okay so let's talk about post launch then um obviously there was a year between your first book and your second book so how much marketing did you continue to do throughout that year like how did you continue to get it to sell or how do you still like what do you do between your launches um to continue to keep either hype up or to keep awareness or yeah what do you do between your launches okay um I mean it's it's definitely evolved and changed over the years like after um Heart of Mist like I didn't really know much about Amazon ads I wasn't doing paid advertising that I'm starting to feel like Heart of Mist was this massive outlier. Um, I put a lot of work into it and a lot of, um, you know, so, so many hours building relationships and doing outreach and stuff. But then there is this part of me that thinks it was a bit of a fluke. I think that's like the imposter syndrome coming back as well. But after Heart of Mist, like there was a lot of content generated from this outreach campaign. So people were posting pictures, people had posted reviews on blogs and also back in 2017 I think book blogging was a lot bigger like I think it's sort of shifted platforms a bit now it's now it's definitely more um, Instagram focused I think and also like TikTok and all those other ones that I haven't really kept up with um, but yeah I I did um, like social media but I don't think that was really driving sales as such I think that again was more like a branding awareness it was just putting the product in front of people and exposing them to it um, I did um, do reader magnets so I wrote I think over the course of 20, 2017 to 2019 I wrote nine prequel stories that um, so the Oromi Chronicles is like a four perspective um, narrative, four-person perspective narrative, and it like chops and changes between them all. But so with these short stories as prequels, I picked one of the four characters each time and went to like sort of a big moment in their past that then sort of was like a breadcrumb linking to the main series. So you would get a glimpse of this character and they act a certain way. And then these prequels would then sort of explore how they came to act like that. Um, so yeah, over the course of all that time, I was doing monthly uh, newsletters and in between those, like the, the prequels were all for my newsletter subscribers and people really, really liked them. Um, like there was, you know, a particular um, command, commander of the guard who everybody was like crushing on. So I did a bunch of, you know, prequels over him and, um, that was really good because I used them to kind of reward the existing mailing list. And because you are only releasing once a year, you want to keep people's appetites for it going. And so you give them these sort of little morsels in between each release. And I think, I think in between Heart of Mist and Reign of Mist, the second one, I would have done at least four prequels um, and they, they kind of got longer and longer. So the, the initial ones might've been only 3000 words, but by, by the end, like the final one might've been like eight, 9,000 words. Um, so yeah, that worked in rewarding existing readers, but then in terms of um, like the back of the book um, content, I got a lot of organic subscribers wanting those prequels. 
And so all the while in between, you know, launching the first and the second, I was keeping the existing people interested with these stories. And then I was also grabbing a whole bunch and putting them on my list, waiting for the, the second one and either selling that first one or getting them interested later on, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I would say the reader magnets was a massive, um, a massive thing in keeping everybody interested. Um, Heart of Mist just kept finding new readers somehow. And I've got quite a, a, quite a good read through rate. Um, and I suppose with each launch, so uh, Heart of Mist launched in August, 2017, then Reign of Mist was September, 2019. And when I did such a big like launch outreach campaign, all of that stuff for the second book, people got exposed to the second book who might not have seen the first. And then they go back and they buy the first and then the second. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. As, as I kind of got more into the indie scene, I started experimenting with Amazon ads. Um, I've never really done Facebook ads. I've got all these issues with my account because I've done work for other brands and my business manager thing is just messed up. So I've never really been able to perfect that or fix it. Um, so it's mainly been Amazon ads and yeah, then I suppose in the last year or year and a half, I discovered the paid promo sites. So, you know, each time you do something like that, you get a wave of new readers to the first mm. one. And then if I've got the decent read through rate that I think I do, they then go on and, you know, buy the other ones. And also, you know, they didn't stay at 99 cents the whole time. That was just for the first week. So, you know, the rest of the time, and I did like a staggered pricing. So, Heart of Mist was $4.99, Rain of Mist was $5.99 and War of Mist was $6.99 because they got bigger and bigger as well. Um, yeah, and the first one's a beast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of the gist of it. I love listening to you talk because every time you open your mouth, I'm like, yeah, I just get really <laughs> amped up. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go and write loads of stories. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally like yeah yeah like literally after this I'm gonna go write down a bunch of ideas that I want to go and do oh good I hope everybody else listening is uh feeling as amped up as I am because I am I'm like you can hear it in my voice but I'm all giddy with excitement <laughs> um okay so like what do you think is the most and least important aspect of marketing when you're publishing just one book a year um well I'd say the most important is even though even if you're not so say you're, you're only publishing one a year you do have to do something in between that year to keep people interested to keep you sort of at the forefront of people's minds because like for me as a reader like if I read a book and I love it but the next one's not coming out for a year by the time that one comes out I've either forgotten about it or I'll have to go and reread that first one in order to then know what's happening in the second one. So I think in terms of the most important marketing things, it is to keep people interested in your story, in your characters, really get them emotionally invested. So, you know, potentially when that next, the, the sequel comes out, they've got that in their calendars. Maybe they take a day off work to fucking read it. Um, and I would, I would also say, be like open about your release schedule. So, you know, I think there's, there's heaps of indies out there who are publishing once a month. They don't really need to have this open dialogue with their readers. The, the reader, the reader no, I mean, they do. But in terms of 
setting reader expectations, the reader knows they get a book once a month. Whereas, you know, people who are publishing once a year, that's definitely more towards the traditional timeline of, of mm. things. Um, and so I, I want to make sure that people know when they're buying book one, that the next one's not going to be out for another year. And the way I do that is through my newsletter. I've got a pretty personal sort of vibe to my newsletter. Like I, I say what's going on in my personal life. I give um, writing process updates. I give like sneak peeks and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and I do that on mainly Instagram as well. Like you, you've seen lately, I've been posting how many words I've written a day and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't know if, if you call that a marketing technique as such. I mean, the newsletter for sure is, but in terms of, you know, setting reader expectations and, you know, not disappointing people, I would definitely say, you know, be open about when the next one's coming. Because if, if people love your work, they will wait for the next one. But don't piss people off by, you know, not telling them when it's coming and stuff like that. Um, and I think the publishing the, sh the short stories in between. And when I say publish, sorry, I don't mean like they're on Amazon. I mean, I write it, I get it edited. For the ones that I did with the Oromir Chronicles, I didn't even do covers. They were just PDFs that I was sending my mailing list. Um, but yeah, so I did, I did go to the effort of paying an editor because I don't think like you're using these things to lure people in to pay for your work, essentially, in the, at the end of it, at the end of the sales funnel. So you don't want to give them like some first draft shitty story. Um, so, yeah, I did go through that process of editing it and typesetting it and all of that. But, yeah, it's not published as in you can buy it. But that's also part of the benefit to it in that it's incredibly exclusive. Only the people on the mailing list get it. Um, and, yeah, I think that's potentially one of the most important marketing techniques that I've used just to keep that interest there and hold that interest over the course of a year. It's just giving them these little tidbits, these little tasters. Um, so yeah, that I would say that was one of the most important things I did to keep people hooked for a year in between releases. Um, with uh, the least important stuff, um, this has been said like heaps of times before the least important marketing stuff is like trying to do everything at once. Um, so at one point I was like, I was doing Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, also trying to do Amazon ads for a while. I tried the Facebook ads and also on top of that, doing the newsletter. That's a lot of stuff to be doing. That's not writing the next book, which mm. actually writing the next book is the best marketing technique. I mean, that's, that's a cliche that said, you know, in this industry heaps is nothing sells the first book, like writing the second book or whatever that saying is. Um, but yeah, trying to do too much, too much at once, because then you'll never do anything excellently. Like, so over the years, like I've sort of Twitter's can fuck off at the moment. Like it just doesn't, it just quit. doesn't do it for me. Yeah. yeah so, also, just... it's just such like a toxic place mm -hmm. everybody's so like horrible on there um but like I use a social media scheduling thing so every now and then like basically I just duplicate content over a bunch of social media platforms which is not you're not supposed to do that like each platform has its own um you know benefits and different ways to style it but so I I would say that even though I post the same content across all of them my content is really designed for Instagram um 
which is where a lot of YA readers are. They're taking pictures of books, they're discussing who, they're, who they ship, like all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, and I suppose like, you know, I've touched on the, the physical book launches. To me, they were not, they were marketing in the sense that, yeah, I, I got this branding awareness, it, got, it gave me this legitimacy, um, but by no means were they money makers. And I, I did them knowing that. I just wanted to have a book launch. Same as you were saying, you want to see your book in a bookstore. That was me sort of feeding that, you know, um, old school wish of mine to have a, a party when I had a book launch. Um, but yeah, I think I've gone off track there, but that's, that's sort of uh, <laughs> the general idea of everything. Um, so what tactics then have you used uh, to build your audience? So, yeah, I mean, is it, is it purely the ads that have built your audience? Like what, what do you think is the, the best tactics or what other tactics have you used to build your audience? Um, definitely not the ads, I don't think. Like I only, I only really got into ads after Reign of Mist was published in 2018 and like quite a lot after that was published. Um, the, the reader magnets, that was a massive thing. I got a lot of signups for that. And that was before I even knew about Book Funnel. Um, so I would say the reader magnets really cast the net quite wide and brought people onto my mailing list. Um, also the 99 cent launches, um, particularly because it was the first book in a brand new series by an unknown author. It doesn't feel like a big risk to someone to spend 99 cents on an ebook. Um, so I definitely think having it priced, even though it was only for like that first week or so, that um, that combined with my outreach campaign, people had seen the book cover like floating around on Instagram, on people's blog posts, on Twitter. Um, and then when they looked it up, even though they'd never heard of me, it was only 99 cents. So they bought it. And mm. then then they, they read it obviously. And at the back of that book was the reader magnet sign up to my mailing list. And so it was very much this sort of, not seamless, but quite organized funnel, whether it was a funnel to the sale or it was a sale uh, funnel from the sale to my mailing list. And uh, yeah, it, it grew. I think, especially at the beginning, it grew quite organically. Like nowadays I'm trying, I'm trying a lot like the, yeah, I'm trying things that are very like highly recommended in the, the indie sphere, like, you know, newsletter swaps, um, list builders, but I've definitely seen that those things aren't as like you get heaps of subscribers. Like I signed up to a paid news newsletter builder thing a couple months ago. And I think I got 1,500 odd new subscribers, but the engagement isn't, isn't quite there. Like they've obviously signed up to get, you know, a, a box set of game of Thrones or something like that. And, you know, have, have signed up for the mailing list, but they're not invested in anything I'm going to say. They don't know who I am and all of that stuff. So the, the engagement isn't quite there. Um, so, yeah, with, the, with my new release, I'm definitely trying to sort of turn back to how I was doing it around the heart of miss time. Like, so get more organic subscribers. I've got three novellas that are part of, my new series, which is Curse of the Siren Queen. I've got three novellas that I've written um, that are all going to have been released to my mailing list before the first book in that series comes out. But then that first book in the series, hopefully will get a lot of 
exposure and I'll have that link at the back of the book that for people who aren't already on my mailing list get the three novellas and then like it just kind of works in this big cycle I guess mm-hmm. um so yeah I think um yeah that's that's kind of where I'm at with all of that well I'm jumping on your mailing list because I want to read the novellas <laughs> <laughs> okay actually, like they're actually good in that like they um they, they help you with your craft too, writing them. Mm. Like, you know, you get to know your characters more. Um, you know, the world building gets a lot bigger and more exciting. And so, like, I've had a couple of people say to me, oh, you know, you're writing these for free and giving them away for free. And actually, you make a loss on them because I am paying an editor to um, edit them. And for the novellas, I'm getting covers done. And that's the first time I'm going to get covers done. But that's so I can then experiment with potential advertising to the mailing list um I don't think you make a loss because you're engaging your readers for the long term you know it's keeping them buying uh you know books over the over and also if you and if you're putting them in the back of your book then you're getting people from the first book in the new series to then you know sign up and then potentially buy the second third you know yeah exactly it's just it's kind I guess it's more of like an investment in in yourself and in your in your new series so yeah. yeah Yeah, love it. Did you make any mistakes along the way? Uh, and, and like uh, along the way specifically, because not only are you a full-time author uh, from one book, you're also a six-figure author. So did you make any mistakes along the way to becoming a six-figure author? God, you're just such a fucking inspiration. Book a year, six <laughs> figures, you are smashing life. I am literally, I bow at your feet of like amazingness. <laughs> I try, I try my best. Um, <laughs> In terms of mistakes, um, this is actually a more recent mistake. Um, I, I managed to, I think because I'd done the course with Mark Dawson, like I've, I've done the SPF 101 course and I've also got the ads course. I think I've definitely benefited from the initial course I did. I haven't really found myself with the, the ads course, but I was in a really sort of good structured place after having done that course and I'm very um, routine and discipline focused. So everything I did was quite structured with that first series. I would say my, my biggest mistake was actually one that I made last year that was so after the complete trilogy had been released, what I did was take those nine reader magnets magnets that were prequels to the Oromi Chronicles and then I wrote seven more and I put them in a collection which is called Dawn of Mist and I released that in April 2020 and I think I didn't really manage my expectations that well for Dawn of Mist. In my head for some reason I thought that that book was the same as launching a novel and a full-length novel and it wasn't at all. I, I did that because what I wanted to do was kind of buy myself a year to then get a head start on the new series. So I thought in, the, in releasing Dawn of Mist and then the omnibus maybe six months or so later, that that would then tie me over financially for then the, the release of A Lair of Bones, which is, is out in July. Um, and yeah, it just didn't like I built up this readership that we're expecting these fat epic fantasy books and even though 
everyone really loved the prequel stories. Like I got such good feedback from my mailing list. Like every time I sent one out, I'd get, you know, dozens of replies about people super invested in, you know, whichever character and, you know, wanting more from that particular character. And I guess that sort of led me to believe that there was a demand for a book, which in hindsight, I don't think there was. Like one of, one of the reviews I've read of Dawn of Mist said that it's definitely a book for the, the fans, which makes a lot of sense to me now. I think if you've read the Army Chronicles and you, you loved them, then you'll love Dawn of Mist. But Dawn of Mist on its own, even though each story has its own arc and it is like contained in the one book, it's not this epic scope that the other three books were. And um, yeah, it's definitely not enough to keep me going financially from April last year to April this year. Um, and then, you know, Lair of Bones doesn't come out till July. So that was a big mistake of mine. And, you know, I won't be making that again. So this is really interesting to me because I would never have thought that that would be the case until this year. So I don't know, have you, have you heard of Melissa Albert? She wrote The Hazelwood. The Hazel, I've heard of The Hazelwood, yeah. Okay, so The Hazelwood is uh, one of, was one of my favourite reads of whatever year it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated the ending, but it was a duology and she kind of made up for it still. She, I feel like she flops the endings, but it's not the point anyway. She's a fucking fantastic writer. Her characterization is exquisite, literally exquisite. And um, it's set in this world, like half in the world and then half in like the world of fairy tales. And Mm -hmm. there are all these fairy tale characters in her books. And then she brought out the book of all the fairy tales. And so I read the night, uh, what's it called? The Hazelwood. And then I read the night country, which was the, the, the sequel and the finale. And then I pre-ordered the, um, oh God, I can't even remember what it was called. Anyway, oh, the the Tales of the Hinterland or something it is. And it is li- right. literally like a book of, I don't know, like 15 of these fairy tales. And I I literally like, the, her books are the kinds of books that I have to physically pull myself away from so that I don't sit and read it in one go. Um, and I And I really struggled to get through the book like the book of short stories, yeah. I just could not get through it. It's taken me like, I mean, at the moment I'm re- I'm averaging like two to three books read a week and it's literally taken me like almost two weeks to read the book because yeah. it's so stop start because obviously each one is a different story. And so you just about get into the characters and then the story is over. And so I never really yeah. thought about that as um, like the negatives of that because I quite like reading short stories, but I think... I think the difference is if you go to a book knowing it's short stories, that's one thing in terms of reader expectation. But when you have a series Mm -hmm. and your series is long books, that is what the reader expectation is. And that was what my reader expectation was. So I don't know. I don't know. I, but, and even I knew, I knew it was a book of short stories and still I struggled to get through it. And it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the quality of her writing. Her writing is amazing. So yeah, it's a very interesting one to think about and to consider in terms of like what we are 
using those like shorts for so yeah like thank you for that that was I think that's fascinating well I think also because I'd taken basically having put the the nine reader magnets into Dawn of Mist I couldn't then use them as reader magnets because I'm I'm with KU as well and so that was more than half basically yeah I really didn't think it through I just I was so focused on having this year where I wasn't really publishing a full-length book and I, I certainly wasn't having one of these massive launches like when I do a launch like the style that I had been doing it's just all consuming I'm working around the clock and when I'm not working I'm thinking about working and I'm feeling guilty and all of this stuff so basically I was so focused on the fact that Dawn of Mist, you know, basically I'd already written half of it. I just had to write like six or seven more short stories, which I did in between writing the the third book in the Oromir Chronicles. Like I would just use a weekend to write a short story. And so they built up quite quickly. And so it didn't, Dawn of Mist to me didn't feel like I was writing and editing this huge epic fantasy book, which I wasn't but I was then expecting publishing it to give me this year of, you know, kind of free time to write as much as I could of the new series. And even though I have done that, and that's why I'm, you know, on book three of the new series before the first ones even come out, like that's been fantastic, but financially it's been a mess. Um, And also sort of something that's kind of niggling at the back of my mind is that I'm on book three of this new series, but nobody's read the first one. And so potentially if that flops, then I'm screwed because, you know, I've spent all this time on a series that potentially might not do well. So Mm. it does feel like this massive risk. And I mean, you know, potentially by the time this episode airs, you know, I'll have some, some answers about that. But yeah, that is definitely my biggest mistake so far. And I made it you know, nearly three years into to being a full-time indie author. So, yay. Look, I mean, it's true. And it is one of the, like, I suppose it's the biggest real, like, downfall of being exclusive to KU. But then we've had conversations about, you know, ways around that and other, like, income streams and stuff. So you're, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what I tell myself. That's what I yes. tell myself each night before I go to sleep. It's going to be yeah. okay. Don't worry. It will, it will, it will, I promise. I have faith in you. Um, all right. So um, if you're publishing a book a year, what does your writing and, and marketing process look like across across a sort of average year? Um, well, I suppose it's it's changed quite a lot. So when I when I published Heart of Mist, the first one, um, when that was first published, I think I was working three days a week as a social media slash copywriter for a really random construction fencing company. Very weird job. Um, but so I was doing that in the day and then two days a week would be writing and planning the launch and stuff. Um, it all really changed after Heart of Mist came out because like, I can't even remember what my expectations were for Heart of Mist. It certainly wasn't that I was going to be able to quit working a couple months later. Um, but I hadn't, I knew like a vague outline of the series, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't really um, broken down. Like, I didn't break the outline down or anything. I kind of vaguely knew how it was going to end. 
And I knew, more so knew like the feeling I wanted it to leave when it ended rather than what exactly happened. Um, and so sort of in, like over the course of the Oromir Chronicles, um, after I'd launched Heart of Mist, it would just be this very difficult balance of marketing, like scheduling social media, um, preparing for the upcoming launch where I was doing this big outreach campaign. Um, it would be, you know, writing as much of that book as I could, sending it to beta readers. So my writing um, process is I write the first draft. It's, you know, usually it's underwritten. Um, then I spend like a month or so filling in the gaps and sort of bulking it out. Um, then read through it, then send it to beta readers, work over it with their feedback, send it back to them. They send it back to me. Then once I'm, I, I can't really do much more with it, then it goes to a copy editor, then it goes to a proofreader. And so in between managing the, I guess, production of that is when I'm trying to do social media, um, you know, manage my inbox because that the with the outreach campaigns, your inbox is just like a clusterfuck. It's horrible. Um, and I'm <laughs> so, so looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> enjoy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, it's just balancing all of that. And then um, once the Oromir Chronicles was finished and I had this, you know, brilliant idea to give myself a year to, to write this series by publishing Dawn of Mist, I realised I need to be a lot more structured because in the Oromir Chronicles, the problem with writing a book, then publishing it, writing a book, then publishing it is you sometimes write yourself into a corner and then that book's already published. And so then you've got to have this massive problem solving session where you try and work out, you know, how to get a character from one continent to another continent in the span of two days when really that takes, you know, weeks to try and, you know, think like weird logistical things like that, you're just trapped with. Yep. Um, and also, <laughs> also I sort of realized- From experience yeah, here, yep. It's horrible, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, in doing that and also having, you know, earned six figures and realizing that like this, I always wanted to do this as a career. It never really um, occurred to me that I wouldn't ever do it. But once, you know, the money started coming in, I realized I had to be a lot more structured how I wanted to do this and how often I wanted to release and, you know, give myself the mental energy and the space and the time to do all these different um, processes and stuff. And so with my new series, I outlined that to like the last grain of sand on that thing. Like I had spread a spreadsheet that outlined the whole series, then a spreadsheet that did each individual book. And I used, I think it's, I think it's uh, Derek Murphy has like a um, 24 chapter outline skeleton thing. Um, and I used that for each book. Basically it's like chapter one, um, you know, a really bad day, chapter two, inciting incidents, stuff like that. Um, but I'd never really structured my books in the past like that. And having this sort of skeleton to adhere to makes it so much easier. Um, it doesn't mean I stick to it the whole time, but just having this like structure that I can follow. And then when I want change, that's made a massive difference. But so now my process with a say the brand new series is outline the whole series, then outline each book, then each book I outline each chapter. And so then you've seen me like posting how much I'm writing at the moment. That's only after having done like 
a month, two months of outlining. And my outline for the book that I'm working on is like 8,000 words long, 50 pages long. And that's just the outline. So that has really helped me keep up the pace and avoid writing myself into corners and things like that. And so, yeah, I, it's hard once you've published the first book in a series, like you're always feeling like you're behind schedule after that. So that's why I've given myself this sort of, you know, gap year to get as far ahead in the process as I can. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm drafting book three at the moment while I'm slowly putting together the launch strategy for book one. But I know as soon as book one's out there, my time's going to be cut in half because I'm going to be doing things like interviews and, you know, daily social media posts, newsletters, um, all sorts. So that's sort of how the process is at the moment. Okay, so I let's what I'd like to talk about now is like YA specific so mm -hmm. do you have any tips for YA authors in terms of both craft advice and marketing or 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 I suppose probably more importantly marketing advice but yeah anything specific Spe hang on it's late it's late let me try again <laughs> specific to <laughs> YA authors um it's it's weird like I don't think when I when I published uh the Oromir Chronicles like I knew it was YA and YA was my target uh market and everything but I didn't really let that dictate my marketing strategies or how I wrote like I think you and I touched on this the last time we just were chatting about sort of talking down to young people and censoring like not having sex and swearing and stuff in YA which I think is just ridiculous um, so in terms of like both craft and marketing, I think the most important thing is to not be condescending towards young adults. So like I'm going to interject here because I'm currently reading a Juno Dawson book. I don't know if you know who Juno Dawson is. No. She is this fucking amazing transgender woman who, um, has just actually released a book called, um, What the Tea? Uh, which is I think for like middle grade and young adults um, all about like trans being transgender or being non-binary or like anywhere on that gender spectrum um, and yeah and so I've just bought this as well but anyway I I have I read one of her books called Clean and was like whoa and then um, immediately brought like three of her other books and then I read uh, Meat Market and now I'm reading Wonderland and I've literally I think there's only like two books now that I don't own that she's written um, but the shocker for me last night in a teenage book she dropped the c-bomb and i was like what <laughs> i don't think i've ever read a young adult book where a c-bomb's been dropped but uh yeah so apparently there are no fucking rules anymore everything goes people everything goes <laughs> i don't know if it's because i'm australian or you know I, I don't know, but the C-bomb isn't that big a deal to me. Wow. So well, I, like, if I in, saw that in a teen book, I'd be like, okay. Oh, wow, no. Like, in the UK, it's super... I mean, I, I... I have no issues with the word. I know a lot of people find it super uh, offensive, especially in America, it's super offensive. Um, mm. I mean, here, it's thrown around quite a lot, to be perfectly honest. But anyway, um, I have never 
seen it in a teenage book. I've seen fucks and shits and bollocks and shags and drugs and addiction and all of this stuff, but never have I ever seen the C-bomb in a young adult book. So I was shook to my core last night I really thought that was and it's a trad book like maybe in an indie book because we, we we break all the fucking rules but yeah know, we can do what we want book I was I was I, my 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 sensibilities were shook <laughs> <laughs> that definitely must be like a it's it's much more easy going in Oz like you could you could drop the c-bomb as a compliment or you could say it like in a nasty way it's uh it's kind of weirdly interchangeable in Oz um, so yeah, I'm not sure I'd, I'd be that, uh, shocked if I saw it, but one question I did get quite a lot about was, so in, uh, in the Oromi Chronicles, the protagonist, she's, I don't know, she's 17. She might be 17 or 19 when it starts out. I can't remember, but she's, she's an alcoholic and, um, she's an alcoholic because she's basically a mind reader and she's permanently kind of getting this influx of other people's thoughts into her head and the only thing that seems to sort of like dull it is drinking um and I got a lot of questions at the time when I was doing this big outreach campaign like I was doing a lot of interviews and podcasts and stuff and that wanted people wanted to talk about that quite a lot like addiction in YA and that surprised me in that people were surprised by that it's not like there aren't teenage addicts like it just and, and people it's not like teenagers aren't using dangerous things as coping mechanisms and and all sorts of stuff like that so yeah sort of I, I would say in terms of marketing and you know um also the content of your craft and stuff is to not um not be condescending and don't assume that you know all teenagers are these like goody goody two shoes that don't know anything about sex drugs and all of that and you know that that would be my main thing um and I suppose also reading a lot of um you have to read a lot of YA read a lot learn the the tropes what and also look at what people are talking about online like there's the, this huge bookstagram community for for YA what are they talking about what are they hating what are they loving like just being aware of all this stuff I think is really important um I, yeah I, I love that you mentioned the the alcoholism funnily enough uh that addiction is something that I'm exploring in the third book because something tragic happens at the end of the second book and I wanted my protagonist to have a realistic um what's the word like a realistic portrayal of grief and like Mm -hmm. what grief can lead you to and what happens when you become addicted and how easy that spiral is because I think people underestimate how easy it is to become addicted to things and uh yeah oh, so sure. like I wanted it yeah so I'm I'm funny enough I'm exploring uh something I mean it's it's not yeah I mean it's she's not addicted to alcohol she's addicted to something else but anyway it is a I think it's important that we explore these real situations. And also the other thing that I love about um, that what, when YA authors do is when they have these characters who aren't perfect, they cheat on their partners, mm. they have arguments. Like that was one of the things that um, I had, uh, I remember a, re- a reviewer said to me, I love the fact that your like couple, like the people that you ship have arguments. And they fight Mm. and they still love each other because it's real and that's what actually happens. And so, yeah, like I love when authors can take real topics and be real with them in their books. Mm. Definitely. Um, Okay, so I have got a question 
from a patron. Um, sorry, I haven't prepped you for this one. <laughs> but HB Line says, how do you manage your mindset in the face of uh, like the very loud trend for more rapid publishing? That's a really good question because especially um, after last year where I haven't done as well financially, I've definitely felt the pressure to put out more books more quickly. And, you know, because you see all these incredible success stories about people publishing once a month who are earning six figures a month and stuff like that. I mean, that'd be nice. But I don't... <laughs> Wouldn't it? I think, Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think um, I... I don't know if it's really managing my mindset, but I'm very aware of my own limitations and what my abilities are. I know that I could not publish once a month because it would be absolute shite. Like my, like you've, I've, you've seen, not seen, uh, I've told you about my writing process that that's really fucking long winded. I couldn't do that once a month. There's just not enough. Uh, there's just not enough time. I can't expect read my beta readers to turn around my manuscripts that quickly I don't have the mental energy to do that um so that's definitely stopped me trying to attempt to do that I just know it wouldn't be the quality that my readers expect from me um and I would also be killing myself in the process I think um that said like I am going to try releasing a bit closer together so I did mention earlier this is so 2021 is the first year I'm going to attempt to do two full-length books in a year and I mean in comparison to a lot of other indie authors that's still really slow I mean it's two it's two books it's not you know 24 or however many people are doing um, but I've also had this year of prep to do that so I don't know how realistic it is that and, and also you've got to be careful about setting expectations. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, publish two books this year and then say, oh, sorry, you're not getting the rest of the series for another year because I need a year to prep for these next two books. So it's, it's a bit of a juggling act, um, but I do want to experiment with release strategies and stuff. Like I don't, a lot of time has passed since I last published a full length book. So, you know, I think, potentially if I just used that same blueprint that I used for Heart of Mist on this new series, I don't think it would have the same level of success. Things change so quickly in this industry. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of mindset, it's definitely like my starting point, I suppose, is knowing my own limitations and knowing what's going to like set me over the edge of, you know, killing myself basically over, over work. I mean, um, only this, only this last week I've injured my back because I was too long at the computer for the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, that was a, and I've done that before. So I obviously didn't learn it the first time so now I've learned it again. <laughs> yeah, it takes a few times before any of us yeah. really listen to the fact that our body is screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it's, I suppose like the whole mindset thing is a constant, learning process you know uh -huh. like sometimes I feel really on top of it and you know I feel like I'm really looking after myself and, and all sorts but then you know two weeks later I can't get out of bed because I've hurt my back and there goes three days worth of work because I didn't learn my lesson the first time around so 
yeah oh I love that so much only because I feel your pain in a really yeah it was only a couple of weeks ago you had it (laughs) oh yeah and guess what I did at the weekend so if this oh man so we we upcycled a piece of furniture together my wife and I and um when we did it we uh sat on the floor in the kitchen which is this really hard tiled uh floor and I fucked my back so much I gave myself migraines from a lower back problem and I had to go to the chiropractor to get the chiropractor to readjust me anyway and then (laughs) As if I didn't learn my lesson, last weekend I painted, um, we have like this box thing around the back of the toilet that sort of goes towards under the sink. I guess it hides plumbing. And so I sat on the floor and I painted this thing last weekend because clearly I'm a fucking idiot who didn't learn her lesson the first fucking time. And guess what? Not only have I had a really busy week this week, I've also been in fucking agony. <laughs> because it's I don't horrible, learn my lesson. I know. What is wrong with us? Why can't we just learn our lesson? I don't know. <sighs> All right. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell me about <laughs> a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Um, I don't know if it's all that exciting, but I think in a way going indie is sort of rebelling. So when um when I had the Heart of Mist manuscripts, like I was I was blogging about the process and stuff. Um I was actually contacted by one of the big five um, who wanted to read it and potentially publish it. And I just kind of had this weird feeling about it. Like in pre, uh, like this is kind of going back a bit, but a couple of years before that, I actually had a literary fiction manuscript signed with a publisher in Australia. And that process was just agony. The whole thing, like the, it was, the, the whole production, the timeline, the creative control, all of it was just a pile of shit. Um, and then, so when I was contacted about um, Heart of Mist, which was probably like the first book I'd written for myself and I did it for the love of the genre and like essentially to escape the drudgery that was the editorial process with that other book. Um, and so, yeah, when I got approached by uh, one of the bigger publishers who were interested in it, I kind of went back and forth with her a few times and I had already pretty much decided that I was going to self-publish it. But then, you know, you do like growing up as a, as a wannabe writer, have this sort of, you know, dream of being published by one of the big five, like you said, being in the bookstores, potentially doing a book tour and all of that. Um, Which by the way, is all bullshit because you'd have to be a lead title to experience any of that. Um, Anyway, like we went back and forth and I was like, well, how long do you think it's going to take you to read it and give me your opinion and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh yeah, probably about four weeks. I was like, you know what? That's four weeks too many. Um, I'm publishing this myself. Um, And then I did. And I've earned so much more money from that book than I ever would have being traditionally published. And I suppose, yeah, that's sort of sort of rebelling against like the sort of uh particularly having done creative writing and publishing at uni there's this sort of like you know prestige about um you know the big publishers and stuff and so I was kind of having to come to terms with the fact that I was rejecting that but also I was coming to terms with rejecting that kind of childhood dream of being published by one of the big five but 
I did it and it was the best thing I could have done. Like I couldn't be full time if I was traditionally published, I don't think. I certainly wouldn't have got the exposure and the marketing um, budget that I've put into things if I had gone that way. So yeah, that's definitely one time I've been a bit of a rebel, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it just shows like how, you know, what's the word like how I don't want to say like how big your balls are because you know we're women so like and I also <laughs> definitely don't, don't want to say how big your vagina is because that's definitely not hot. something that's a bit say. disturbing isn't it <laughs> you know uh let me let me let's try again oh I'll fuck it I'm just gonna go go with the patriarchy for this one it shows that you've got really big balls though because you know um <clears throat> Sorry, I'm still laughing about the vaginas. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, this is too funny. Uh, it's late at night and I had like Really yeah, I think you're you're crossing over into maybe the like the delusional tiredness. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't even know what I was saying. Um, oh, to say no to a traditional publisher. I think that's amazing. Mm. And I just have so much respect for you. I have loved, loved talking to you. Um, and I always, every time I speak to you, I know it's only, this is only the second time, but also we talk <laughs> offline. Um, I yeah. always come away feeling so pumped and so inspired and so motivated and so I you are just an absolute pleasure to know uh so thank, oh, thank you, you so very you. much <laughs> would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you uh your books and anything else that you would like to add um sure uh well I, I suppose by the time this airs um the first book in my new series Curse of the Siren Queen will be out so the book is called A Lair of Bones um it is dark gritty YA fantasy um, so if that's your jam, check that out. That's on Amazon. Um, and also my website. So helenshoira.com. Um, I'll in the give link, you the link. The it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a uh, spelling nightmare. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find out more about me. And it's also where you can sign up to get um, the three prequel novellas to Curse of the Siren Queen. And then, yeah, my my other books, which we've kind of based this conversation off, are The Oromir Chronicles. And the first book is Heart of Mist, which I've pretty much set at 99 cents permanently now um, as a different sort of tactic to get readers into the whole series. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's 99 cents if you kind of want to check out what we've been talking about. And, yeah, I think I'm, I'm most active on Instagram if you wanted to to get in touch so it's just Helen Scheurer is my handle which I can give you the link for as well um and yeah that's about it amazing oh thank you so much for your time today and of no course thanks for having me oh no it was an absolute pleasure and of course a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and a massive whopping thank you to all of the show's patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to Helen Scheurer, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast.
This is the point where normally I would tell you who is coming next week, but we are still trying to uh, pin down a date for recording uh, Monday or Tuesday, hopefully. Um, and so I may have to swing somebody else in. Um, so I am going to stay quiet <laughs> on this one. And um, next week's guest will be a surprise. I hope you're going to join me because if we get the guest that I hope we're going to get, it's going to be a super special episode. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.